0: Bob Dylan is a seeker, a seer, even a prophet, who changed and still changes the times, perceptions, and the very purpose of how we live. This is Stephen Daniel Arnoff. I'm the host and creator of Bob Dylan, About Man and God and Law, the podcast, and also author of the book About Man and God and Law, The Spiritual Wisdom of Bob Dylan. And This book is about Dylan's voice, his purpose as the most insightful and provocative spiritual figure in the history of popular music, theme by theme, listening closely to upwards of 50 of his songs, and by placing Dylan in the flow of culture and religion from the past 500 years. I don't know of another book like this about Bob Dylan or any other pop figure, and that's why I wrote it about man and god and law has been called a journey and enchantment, soulful, a revelation, and a must-have by early reviewers. I thank them for that, and I want you to read my book too. It's available as an ebook beginning December seventh, two thousand twenty-one, and in print in bookstores and online everywhere on May third, twenty twenty-two. You can even pre-order it at Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble. Now, for listeners to this podcast and their pals, if you stop by my website, mangodlaw.com, and sign up, I'll send you a free copy of the ebook. That's right, free and easy. All you got to do is post a review once you've read it, like it, love it, hate it. Just rate it. That's up to you. For a limited time only, come and get it. He not busy reading is busy dying, right? You know that. So visit mangodlaw.com for a free ebook and join the conversation. Thanks for listening, thanks for reading. And now back to the show. Dylan was he was a revolutionary, man. The way that the way that Elvis freed your body, Bob freed your mind. This is Bob Dylan, about man, and God, and law. Time waits for no one, and it won't wait for Bob Dylan either. But Dylan does seem to be able to slow down time. Part of his ability to slow things down is his chosen trade, the main one that is, even as a retrospective of six decades of his visual art opens in Miami. And that trait is being a musician, of course. Musicians create time within time. Musical time, measured out in threes and fours and quarters and eighths. They can tell the story of a moment in a lifetime. Or a lifetime in a moment. And those moments of timelessness they describe in their songs, wordless or wordy, in whatever genre, are repeated by those who play the songs and also by those who love to listen to them, time and time again. Life passes, but the song, as they say, remains the same. Songs are timeless because they outlast time. And eventually, unlike our record collections, our music outlasts us. Holidays and festivals contain a similar magic, coming again and again, but much more predictably than a song, like clockwork, in fact, each and every year. You will have, if you care to celebrate, and perhaps even if you do not, a Christmas every year of your life. Same with Hanukkah or Thanksgiving or Halloween. These ever-recycled frames are living scrapbooks reflections of the moment in which that festival day unfolds, births and divorces, wars and a new partner, COVID-19. You cannot hide what a holiday, and especially a holiday gathering, shines its light upon. We're reflecting on light and timelessness inspired by the holiday season here today including both the new bit where Bob Dylan and Tom Waits share a sailor's mouth, as well as two oldies and goodies from holiday specialettes of seasons past. Welcome to episode seven of season two of Bob Dylan, about man and God and law, lights and festivals. It has three parts, one right after the other. Now... Let's get lit. Come, they told me, pa rum A newborn king to see, pa rum pum One of my favorite moments of Bob Dylan's Theme Time Radio Hour. Those. 100 masterful montages of Musicana on Sirius XM, hosted by Bob, is is when Tom Waits appears. His voice appears, that is, his indomitable voice, and it's on an old cassette tape, according to Bob. They're talking about something or other, Waits and Dylan, quite a combination, and one worth celebrating, and it's in this season of celebration, this season of lights, that we will... (laughs) There's a line in Tom Waits' song, Who Are You This Time? One of my favorites from the album Bone Machine, where he says to his demon lover that he fell in love with her sailor's mouth. And this, for a reason we'll get to in just a moment, always reminded me of the achingly sad song from Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. With your mercury mouth In the missionary times Sad-eyed lady of the lowlands Your mercury mouth, he sings My warehouse eyes, my Arabian drum Should I put them by your gate? Or sad-eyed lady, should I wait? Mercury mouth, warehouse eyes, sailor's mouths They all just seem to go together Dylan Waits are both weird and wonderful, and portions of Dylan's Christmas album were amongst the weirdest musics that Dylan ever released. But his version of The Little Drummer Boy stands out because of its sincerity, made even more apparent by the official video that accompanied the song a crayon-like stop-action blur of images of people connecting and disconnecting during the holiday season. All that little boy in this classic Christmas song can offer the master is his song. I imagine his sailor's mouth clamped shut. I imagine his warehouse eyes, windows into a space that could contain the whole world. Just looking forward, as he plays a simple song and tries to turn that mercury mouth to a smile. It is a season of gifts and giving in a world that seems ever more hungry for taking, taking lives, taking the law into our own hands, taking liberties with other people's bodies, taking opportunity and riches, and stuffing them into a warehouse with locks that only a very few can open. Now, you can pretend to have the holiday spirit by buying up whatever you can carry, but you cannot fake being sincere. The simple gift of the simple beat of an Arabian drum That's the spirit of the holiday spirit, the way it was meant to be. And as he so often does, Dylan delivers this message slightly off key, but with a lot of color and mercurially, just a touch syncopated, unexpectedly, and a little weird. That's the song that I choose for this holiday season. Bob Dylan's The Little Drummer Boy with just a wisp of Tom Waits. I'm Stephen Daniel Arnoff, host of Bob Dylan about man and God and law, a podcast found wherever podcasts are found. I'm also the author of a new book about man and God and law, The Spiritual Wisdom of Bob Dylan. Happy holidays, everybody. We talk a lot about Bob Dylan and religion on the show, but try to avoid pinning a particular set of religious beliefs or practices on Dylan himself. For one thing, Bob Dylan's personal life is his and his alone. Speculating about Dylan's internal life and purpose for the purposes of understanding his work is reasonable, but anything that feels like gossip, well, we try to stay away from ranks. And secondly, as Dylan says in an interview with Rolling Stone we heard in episode one, most of religion is about appearances, but really matters. Faith, blending oneself with the divine, deep, humble appreciation for life and living, the secrets of the innermost heart, these things are ineffable and transcendent. We're lucky if we have even five conversation over the course of our entire lives with another human being that really gets us to the place where our spirit and body meet with the universe. We're guessing that Dylan's music gets you to that place if you're listening to this show. But does that make Bob Dylan's music religious? Sure, spiritual, profound, ineffable, well, it's all that, but religious, to coin a phrase, religion can be something like a four-letter word. Let's play with the theme of Dylan and religion a little bit, in the spirit of the season, and see what we find under the tree. behind the menorah. Bob Dylan was born to a Jewish family, seems to have engaged with the Jewish tradition in varying degrees of seriousness and depth over the years, and in some sense beyond linear description, one can suss Jewish allegories or echoes or synchronicities that hover around and within his work. But Dylan's also very deep with Christianity, very deep, its core to the music and narratives he loves. and that made him of course and he entered a pretty ferocious public evangelical phase during the late 70s even a superficial listening to his decades of music top to bottom gleans martyrdom jesus christ blood good samaritans the law and all kinds of other christian religious lore and leanings but it's holiday time and the dilemma is here what should we get for bob dylan during this season of the festivals of lights, a dreidel for his stocking, a latke for a tree, (laughs) a god that's in his heaven and we all want what's his. not the way we roll personally, because we don't actually roll on Shabbos for those keeping score, we're going to give some of all, none, and both as an answer. Firstly, Happy Hanukkah. And after that, spoiler alert, it must be Santa. a foreign song I learned in Utah. Ha. Va. Hava. Na. Havana. Gee. Havana. Gee. (laughs) Hava Nagila Hava Nagila may be the most known Jewish song in all of the whole wide world. It comes from Hebrew and literally means Let Us Rejoice. Now, Dylan calls this a foreign song he learned in Utah. Tongue-in-cheek, identity in check. As we just learned from Tony Glover's letters in episode 7, Dylan is no longer a Zimmerman in no small part because he was worried about having a Jewish name. And yet, here comes Bob, hiding in plain sight, with a talking blues version of a song that everyone from Philip Roth to Barbara Streisand knew and danced to with their aunts and uncles and cousins at a wedding, and it couldn't be any clearer that Dylan knows this song from the inside. No, I'm not Jewish, says the rounder highwayman Dylan from way out in Utah. And yes, Dylan says, sarcastically, Hava Nagila flashingly, I am a Jew. And this yes, no, maybe Jewish twist on the ageless question of who are you? Well, funnily enough, it's the essence of the Hanukkah story itself. Take us back, take us way, way back, 2,300 years ago or so, to a time when the Greeks, those formative masters of poetry and the arts of war, had dominated the ancient Near East. Like the America of the Age of Dylan. Greek culture was the predominant cultural force of a vast empire with vassal states and local governments and far-reaching, seemingly unreachable peoples all somehow navigating how Greek religion, government, art, fashion, language, literature, philosophy, and style would influence whatever it was that they called their own. When it came to cultural identity, like it or not, by the tip of a sword or the tip of a tongue, it was all Greek to them. The influence was unavoidable. In Judea, the precursor to what we now call Israel, a band of tough Jews called the Maccabees, who had adopted many Greek practices like most of the people of the region, are said to have wanted to reassert what might be called their Jewish roots despite the undeniable impact of Greek culture on their lives and spirit. They wanted to purify the temple in Jerusalem, which had gone Hellenist. They wanted political independence. They wanted uniqueness, distinctiveness, chosenness, and choice within the empire of the Greeks. And they were ready to fight with their death for it. There it is, and there it was. A never-ending Jewish story for a people a nation or culture, whatever you want to call it, constantly wrestling with how Jewish to be in context of a dominant culture. It's been like that for thousands of years, and Dylan's America was no different when he was finding out who he wanted to be, who he was chosen to be. So like any Jewish kid from a mostly not Jewish town, in a mostly not Jewish world, who wanted to change the world, It must have been hard for Bobby Zimmerman to figure out how to present himself authentically without being too much of any one thing or giving too much of himself away while, in fact, creating a new self or selves to make his mark on the world. And this is, in a funny kind of way, Dylan's Hanukkah gift to us all wrapped up in his not-just-sarcastic and not-just-lachrymose and not-just-cute version of Ava Nagila to wrestle with cultural and personal identity and purity, your name and history, and to do so fearlessly in front of the crowd, giving up secrets and keeping them to yourself. And most importantly, to do so with a catchy tune and a great sense of humor. Well, that's Dylan acting out a microcosmic religious drama in a few throwaway moments of a song heard at every Jewish wedding. Identity, Dylan teaches, is a serious game a serious spin of the dreidel. It's public and private, coded and not. And with all of that, if you take it too seriously, if you take yourself or your identity or your own religious chosenness too seriously, well, then maybe you're missing the point of what faith is all about altogether. So whether you'll be rolling on Shabbos with that big Lebowski in the sky or not, and whether you celebrate anything at all this month, happy Hanukkah, may your light shine. And as a great poet once said, Havanagila Bob Dylan and a rocking polka band are on the stage. People are drinking and dancing. Dylan's wearing a thin, dirty blonde wig, a $9.99 special from Ricky's, and there's a Santa cap drooping from the top of his head. Must be Santa, because that's the name of the tune. Must be Santa. Every musical artist in it for the long haul has a few musical mountains to climb, and Dylan says that one of his was recording the Sinatra catalog. Five whole albums worth of tunes. And then there's perhaps the highest good tidiest mountain of them all, the Christmas album. Elvis did one, Bing Crosby and the Jackson 5-2, and Frank Sinatra, of course. They all did Christmas albums, and so did Bob Dylan. Christmas in the Heart, it's called, and must be Santa, was the single. Religion is serious business for Dylan. He told critic Nat Hentoff in the 60s that Salvation was his main creative goal, and in Chronicles 40 years later, he wrote that America was crucified and died on a cross only to be reborn after the original sin of slavery and that this theme drove everything that he wrote. The kitschy tune, the freewheeling bar fight with the song's protagonist jumping out the window to his escape while Dylan and a proper Saint Nick just shrug their shoulders to each other. These wacky scenes are just a bit of good, clean, weird fun, aren't they? There's no reason for it except for the fact that Dylan asked himself what Frank would do, what Elvis would do, and that would be a Christmas album. Dylan is never an artist of a simple answer, nor a simple question. What would Elvis or Frank do also begs the question, what would Jesus do? What would God want us to do? What's it all about? The Christmas party in the song ends in broken glass and a bad hangover. There's also, underneath it, an ancient story of God taking a human form, a call for brotherhood triumph and triumphalism. We can enjoy Dylan at his silliest in his wig and cap sneaking amongst the hipsters, but we also remember that Dylan said in going to Acapulco, Now if someone offers me a joke, I just say no thanks. I try to tell it like it is and stay away from pranks. Christmas in the heart and Must Be Santa are meant to bring a smile, but also a pause of reflection. What is this world, this season, This story of a divine visitor cast out the window of the world. Sure, these are implied rhetorical questions, but they're also very good questions, and they've got some hard answers. Must be Santa? Sure. Must be Dylan, too. This has been our Dylan-esque reflection about seasons and lights. Next up, a conversation with David Bellotti about my new book about man and God and law, The Spiritual Wisdom of Bob Dylan. Don't forget, because, well, how could you forget, to <laughs> take a peek and grab a copy at mangodlaw.com or wherever ebooks are sold. You can also pre order the print copy wherever books are sold as well. Give us a review or a recommendation on the book or the podcast, wherever you are bound and wherever they are found. That really helps our project grow. After our conversation with David, we'll be mixing it up with a combination that goes together like like something and something. We're, we're actually still figuring out how these things go together. One of them is not like the other, but maybe they are like the other. I mean, as Curly Howard once said, hey my mother and your mother are both mothers. That's right, mothers and muses. That episode is in the works too, so stay tuned. We're proud to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Check out all of the stellar podcasts for music lovers at pantheonpodcasts.com I am your host Dr. Stephen Daniel Arnoff. Thanks for coming and see you soon. Dragon right Session, session.